0: All right, everyone.
1: The doors have been closed. You can no longer leave the room. (laughs) Um, Thank you for coming. This is officially on the program. um, An episode of Unsheathed, which uh, is numbered something or another. But actually, it's probably not sheathed number three or four. Yeah, it's three or four. Something like that. Uh, Yes. Okay. We're up. I'm recording. No, no, no. We're we're totally recording here. Yeah, um, we recorded the whole inappropriate airplane fursuit suit conversation also, so that would be a great start to the, the podcast. Um, so, hi, welcome. Thank you for coming out to our to our podcast. As we mentioned every year, Rainfirst was the first place that we did a live recording of Unsheathed, and it uh, we we always love to come back here and do it again. Um, KM is with us in spirit, uh, if in not in spirits. In, if, in yeah. spirits, if if not in buckets. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah. So hey, um, hi. I'm, I'm I'm Kyle Gold. Uh, I am, I do the Unsheathed podcast and I write a lot of books. And um, I'm Fuzz Wolf. I've never done a podcast before, so I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you, did you seriously just say you're a little nervous? <laughs> No, I didn't. If I did, I was mumbling. I didn't oh, okay. actually mean to do that.
2: <laughs> Thank you. No. Uh, well, for <laughs> those that don't know, I do a podcast called Notcast. It's in like the two hundred and sixty something episodes now. Um, more relevant to the writing track,
1: I own for Planet Productions, which uh, we just published a
2: new book by Michael Oster. Yeah, we'll, here, we'll,
1: so. we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about the new book in a bit. It's I uh, um, we'll have I have, have for pause. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so so we we both done podcasts. Uh, Notcast, I will say, was the was the podcast that encouraged us to start unsheathed and is still going after unsheathed has been on like several different hiatuses. So we got many kudos, many kudos <laughs> to you. It takes I I know firsthand how much dedication and work it takes to keep doing a podcast week after week. Yeah, um, I appreciate until that. you just wish Flanders was dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so congrats to you and and uh, and the whole crew. Uh, oh, thank you, <laughs> Savern and Shiva and the other people who have floated in and out over the years. And yeah, the ever-changing
2: uh, cast of characters. There. Right, it's been stable for a couple of years now, though.
1: Um, so so here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk a little bit about Rain First as uh, which is which is where we are. Rain First 2014. Um, as as we discussed before the podcast, we're going to judge the convention based on one and a half days. Um, and we're it's gonna all talk on you, Friday. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the theme and cyberpunk, and uh, sort of generally other things related to that. And then we'll probably just bullshit about stuff, and then take some questions. Which is that works. Kind of how these podcasts go. <laughs> yeah, they could go any direction. I don't know. It's a little frightening. So, um, so as as Fuzzwolf referenced. Uh, At at this convention, uh, I have a new book out, which is published by Fur Planet Productions, uh, written by me, illustrated by the illustrious Black Tegan, uh, who also contributed to the title. Um, The book is called "Dude, Where's My Fox?" Um, and it is a touching story with a lot of sex in it. Um, A lot of touching. A lot of touching, yes.
0: (laughs) So, (laughs)
1: it's it's basically the story of a guy who wakes up after a drunken hookup at a party, realizes that the only thing he can remember about the guy he slept with is it was a fox, and then proceeds to decide because he's just gone through a breakup that it's very important to him to track down who this fox was. Um, And he enlists the help of a couple people to search through the community and all the people who might have been at the party and they narrow it down to three candidates so you have a general like three thing which gives it a little bit of a of a fairy tale structure so it's sort of like cinderella crossed with goldilocks crossed with gay sex and furries. (laughs) If you can wear this glass condom, you may be the one. (laughs) It is, it it was, in fact, in fact, while I was writing it, it was referred to by one of my colleagues as the glass condom story. (laughs) And at one point in the story, they call his quest this glass condom search. Um, They call it something else, which I came up with, which you'll have to read the book to find out. But, uh, we are doing, we are officially launching it Tomorrow night at 9, I will read a passage from the book, um, which it took me a long time to figure out a passage that would be not super embarrassing to read uh, in front of an audience. But I found one, and it's pretty much the setup for the book. So if you're on the fence about whether you want to pick this up or not, come to the launch tomorrow at 9. You can hear me do a couple of voices and basically give you the scene that sets up the whole conflict for the book. And then Sunday you can go to Fur Planet and buy it if there are any left because they have been selling pretty quickly. Yeah, we've already we're
2: through about two thirds of what we bought brought with us already, so you may not
1: want to wait. <laughs> but you can also order it online. Yeah. Anyway, so the book has been doing well, which is cool. Um, the con has been a lot of fun. Um, That's been pretty good, yeah. What's uh, what's your favorite memory of the day and a half so <laughs> far? <laughs> Uh, the dinner I just had was quite
2: nice. So, oh, I don't know. I can show you this, and I can at least get your awe on the uh, podcast. Okay. So Nobody we, else is going to see it. It's yeah, just me. We went to dinner with um, with Furious, who draws the meteor shower series, and we went to a restaurant that had the you can draw
1: on the tablecloths, and he did this whole drawing for Tieran and I. Uh, that's <laughs> it. There if you if you know meteor showers, you would you would completely recognize the style and I'm, I'm frankly surprised that your waiter didn't remark upon it if it wasn't just like on the out on the table. But it, well, well I mean it's not explicit at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I, was, to, I was trying to make them think it was. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it tearing is not actually explicit knife it's cut, just uh, adorable.
2: It is. It's very
1: cute. We're um, gonna scan
2: it when we get home and right now it's sitting up in our room. So but no seriously dinner was good. Um Other than that, it's just, yeah, it's just running around, doing the table. Um, I did the Getting Published panel this morning with Ocean and Voice, and that that went pretty well. Cool. Um, I think that and this are the only panels I'm on, this con. So I know you're doing quite a few more.
1: Yeah, but like a lot of my panels are things like I'm on three panels for the writing competition mm. um, which if you haven't entered it it's probably too late unless you want to try to write a story by 4 p.m. tomorrow um, which you can do um, but the but basically that's like three panels where I just have to show up to a room and sit there and if people ask me questions I answer them. I don't have to... I, I have to be a judge so I have to be available for, for consultation but I don't have right. to actually like prepare a panel and then... Um Two of them are book launches, which again <clears throat> like I did the charity anthology launch because mm-hmm. I have a story in that, and I basically just showed up and wrote my name in a book a bunch of times, uh, not the same book, different books. Um, just one book I signed over and over again it's going to be It's going to be in the charity auction if you want um, and, uh, and then the book launch tomorrow for this one all I have to do is show up and, and smile and wave the book and then read a section from it which is fun and I want to do that anyway and then I have to do my I'm doing my reading tomorrow morning which if anybody wants to hear a segment of a book in progress that has not been published yet, which what I'm going to read from is the third book in the Dangerous Spirits trilogy, Black Ooh. Angel. So I'm going to read a segment from that at 11 tomorrow morning and then take questions about that or anything else you want to ask me questions about. So that's like six panels that don't require a lot of preparation in advance. Mm-hmm. And then I did I just did a panel on taboo topics, which was really cool. Um, I had mm-hmm. a lot of fun with it. Mostly because what was cool was that my co-panelists were all very experienced in taboo topics, so I was just like, I'm going to be the moderator. And you guys get to talk about the stuff you write about, because all I write about is gay people, and that's not taboo anymore. That's you that's just freaking sit there with a horrified expression and, on your face for the rest of the panel. Freaking normal, yeah. Just, you know, just like, you mean they're brothers? Really? With um, a blender? Oh my god. <laughs> Funnily enough... No. <laughs> Um so so we were talking about vor as one of the uh, as one of the things <laughs> and white yodi who is who is like sort of the the king of taboo topics in furry fandom as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. um, mentioned that he he had to write vor commissions and there's this there are like all these different subcategories of of because there's, I've
2: heard of soft for and <clears throat> hard for. I haven't heard. Of any
1: there, there, there's all kinds of things which I'm not going to list right now. You can find them on the website, but it's sort of mm-hmm. like how do you just stay in the mouth? Do you get swallowed? What happens after? What doesn't happen? Whatever. And so, I was trying to explain to people, you know, if there's an aspect of it that you find exciting that is not contained in the stories, you should write your own. Like, for instance, and I always trap myself because I'll say these things. I'll say, like, for instance, and my brain is saying, put something funny after that. And then, and I'm just like, Thank you, brain. Um, <laughs> you put something funny after that. Um, so what I said was like, if there's an aspect of vore that you find really exciting, like you know the kind where you're put in a food processor and blended up and then drunk through a straw, and nobody's <laughs> writing that kind of vor story, then you should write that vor story. And so then you just blenders did actually yeah. from the back of the yeah. Room. Every everybody yeah. <laughs> so so if you see that on FA in a month or two, it's my fault, and I apologize to all of you profusely.
2: I'm um, <clears throat> just thinking, it's like, wow, what if like the first Rocky movie was a war story and you start your day with cracking open a couple of furries and dropping them in the blender?
1: <laughs> no, will it blinch? Oh my god, yes. I don't want to see furries on the on that. Uh, is, it a, is that a Tumblr or just a blog? I think it predates Tumblr. But
2: there actually was somebody a few years ago that was doing like EDM music
1: under the name Furries in a Blender. Wow. Um, yeah. So <laughs> okay, okay, anyway, somebody got the reference. <laughs> so so anyway, that's that's how blenders came up in in my panel. So thank you for that, and we got a story out of it at least. Um, I did a panel on how to write novels. I'm doing one on writing historical fiction. Um, that might be it, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um,
2: I had proposed that anyway. they have historical fiction and hysterical fiction at the same time in the two different writing rooms, just to confuse everybody.
1: Well, and I think what we were talking about too was having historical hysterical fiction. Oh, yeah. So the the history of hysteria, if you guys don't know, was, oh, had something. Yeah. Yes, had yes. People ah. in the audience are like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a there was a whole movie about it where it was like hysterical women had to be treated with yep. vibrators and given yeah. orgasms and stuff. Oh, so. That's my
0: <laughs> yeah. You, I'm yeah, sorry. Because like a hysterectomy, the hist is the root word for uterus,
1: so. Right. So hysteria yeah. comes from Hysterics. yeah, comes from that and it's been it's been normalized since then to, to just be generic and right. So anyway, yes, historical hysterical fiction would be hysterically Women's funny. Fiction. Yes. Um, <laughs> I guess. Um, so yeah, so the theme of this rainforest first is cyberpunk. Yes. Um, and for that, um, you is uh, you published the charity anthology, which is mm-hmm. called. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make you for say it. What? Oh, God, I it was a for real? I, just, I can't even remember it now. See, now you're just turning it back. You just you know it. You just want to make me say it.
2: No, it's, it's virtual horizons. There you go. Okay, yes. yeah.
1: Virtual horizons. That's right. Um, so, uh, was is that the first? Science fiction slash is that the first cyberpunk book you guys have done? Ooh, that's such a good question because
2: like I don't work on all of them. Tyrion works on some of them. Um, I think in like Zia's Save the Day, there's probably characters with like cybernetic arms okay. or something like Got that. To. But I, as far as like pure cyberpunk, I don't think we've done. You know, actually, I take that back. Uh, Beautiful World by Christina Tracer, I would say, would be more cyberpunk. Okay. Has that sort of uh, second-life-ish kind of interface, and it starts with a guy who's a human being who uploads his consciousness into this VR world, and he's fallen in love with a character there who is a complete CG creation, who's like a female ferret,
1: I'm pulling from memory. But, so, yeah, that's actually very very kind of cyberpunk. See, if you don't remember, just make up better details. <laughs> he fallen in love with the CG creation, who is a female ferret and a male polar bear at the same time. Um, well, in a world like that, I mean, that would be possible. If yeah. It was yeah, a male no, polar sure. bear in the real world, and then jacked in. And he was a, actually, it's ferret. a hermaphroditic ferret. Fair bear. God, it's actually
2: funny. To, it's actually funny that you say that, though, because there is. But, no, not, not that I, part. Not that part. I appreciate no.
1: that. We got some laughs from the audience. You didn't need to reassure me that it was funny, to, but thank you. The uh, the
2: part about the the bear being a ferret online. There is a, one of the stories in the Rainforest Charity anthology. Is this sort of. Um, a shadow run esque. This group of people is going to go and do a job, and one of the characters who's transgendered and species dysmorphic is a male bear in body, but appears as as a female ferret schoolgirl. Wow, and that's right. how they're actually projecting themselves to the world because that's how they feel they, they really are. And so, yeah, the whole bear ferret thing, it's actually in the charity anthology. Wow,
1: that's really cool. Um, Yeah, no, not so much. We just find the coincidences and exploit them. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of
2: amusing that that happened. But um, on the subject of the charity anthology, for anyone that doesn't know, Um, Rainforest puts one out every year that's themed around the theme of the con and the only people that make money on it are are the people that print it for us. Um, We don't take anything for it. All the writers and artists donate their work for it and all of the profits that are made from it goes towards the con's charity for that year. Um, So this year is pretty beefy. It's like over 90,000 words altogether and it's only 10 bucks. It's a bargain. I tell you. Yeah, it actually Mm -hmm. is really good. It's got a bunch of really good stories (laughs) in there. So if you buy it, you're getting some good stories and you're supporting the con's charity,
1: which is it's like it's a big oh Cougar Mountain. That's right, Cougar Cougar Mountain. Mountain. Thank you, thank you, staff member. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I have a I have a story in the charity anthology. Um, The they had originally announced that there would be two charity anthologies, that there would be a G to PG one and then an R to X rated one for adult reader people. And this was the first time they tried to do the adult charity anthology. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wrote uh, feeling that, uh, you know, I should contribute to both. Uh, I wrote two stories which are actually paired. They are two views, well, they're, they're two separate events. They can each be read separately and you won't be missing anything. It's not like one of them ends and you don't know what happened. It's, mm-hmm. But they're related. And one was adult and one was not. So I set up this whole situation where in this cyberpunky furry world kind of place. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then what happened apparently was that uh, nobody but me actually submitted to the adult charity anthology um, and the story was not long enough to publish by itself because it was only 4,000 words so it would have been like a little chapbook anthology of one um, Tijuana and Bible. which 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 you know those tend not to sell very well for ten dollars so can print it as a Tijuana Bible maybe <laughs> <laughs> or it's like a chick tract kind of thing <laughs> yes perfect. Um, like
2: have Cat Ken- illustrated like on her little post-it note Oh, my style. God, the
1: little post-it scratch. Yes. Yeah. Computer furry um, <laughs> doom. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, so what happened was they were like, okay, we're not going to do the adult one, but we'll take your story for the other one, which was cool. So my story is in the other one. The adult story I posted on my FA account, so you can read that for free. Uh, I also wrote a story for the con book, and that is sort of vaguely in the same world as the other two um, because I was trying to figure out how to make cyberpunk furry without it just being, oh it's cyberpunk but with furries. Um, So I had to think a lot about the genre of cyberpunk and I know that there is at least uh, one person in the audience who I've had discussions with about uh, cyberpunk so I will trust uh, Watts to stand up and shout at me if I get something wrong about it. But, uh, but as, I was, as I was looking back and trying to figure out how do I write a cyberpunk story, because I've been a fan of the genre, but I, I mean, three stories is more than I've written in my entire life of cyberpunk, so. Uh, but it's, it's a really, it's an interesting genre that peaked in the mid-80s about, and it seems to me to be about sort of a fear of losing individuality in a technological age where you there's a lot of you know people uploading their consciousness Mm. there's also a lot of corporations coming after people and trying to subsume Mm. the the individual trying to make everybody fall into line uh, very much like the 1984 kind of things um and so there's that both uh assertion of individuality through technology and fear of loss of individuality through technology and and there's you know separate worlds and uh And the real world tends to be very grimy and gritty. Um, The online world tends to be a little more idealized, but also kind of dangerous. The element of danger is big in the cyberpunk Mm -hmm. field. But you can be whatever you want to be in that world. Um, And so the way that I approached furry cyberpunk was imagining a society not too far into the future where um, we can have online avatars, and the point at which the two paired stories happens is when these two guys have been making these very realistic furry avatars for people online, and a teen pop star a la Justin Bieber is shooting some... Justin Bieber. Yeah, well, I think it was a remake of Alice in Wonderland or something, but he, they, they use one of these super realistic furry things and then suddenly the whole world wants one because uh, yeah, it's yeah. become popular and they're like, oh my god, these things are amazing. And so it's these corporations trying to get the license to make these furry avatar online identities from these two people who are the only ones who are really making them realistic because they're making them basically for the furry fandom. Um, so furries are in it. So it's a, a story set in our world in the future but with furries like us as opposed to furries like our avatars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of how I ended up imagining yeah. it. So I'm really, I'm interested to read the the anthology and see how other people imagine it. Actually the bear mm-hmm. ferret story sounds really cool.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff in the anthology this year. Um, I was really happy with it, how it turned out. And I've noticed that with uh, cyberpunk, a lot of it is is very near future mm-hmm. as opposed to the more like the really positive science fiction, like Star Trek, is very far future. It's like four to five hundred years from now. But cyberpunk stuff tends to be like, well, nowadays, like late twenty first century, right. as opposed to like a hundred years from now or something.
1: Or even sooner. I mean, if you've seen you've seen the face rig stuff that's out now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the beginning of basically having these avatars that we can represent ourselves yeah, as. I.
2: I've kick-started that with them, so I haven't had a chance to play around with it yet, but that panda is super cute. <laughs> they did a wolf and they called it Moon Moon, which
1: is awesome.
2: <laughs>
1: does, it, does it randomly just derp out? <laughs> no, it should. They
2: all do, kind of. The, the reason they called it Moon Moon is actually kind of lame. Apparently, they couldn't decide in the office what to actually call the, the non-morphic wolf. So
1: they just mutually agreed to call him Moon Moon. Oh, <laughs> I was I was thinking they they like ran the name of the developer through the werewolf thing and came up with Moon Moon. moon. <laughs> yes. Oh, my werewolf name is Moon Moon. That's funny. Someone should make an internet meme about that. <laughs> Best meme ever.
2: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um. So in preparation for um, the. Uh, the theme here in uh, the discussion um, actually had my right arm amputated from the elbow down in the place of cybernetics. Okay, cool. I, actually, not really. I started reading Neuromancer. I was, I was, <laughs> I, I was wondering
1: about that because it's, it's making kind of weird little glowy. Uh, you just hear this clicking and
2: noise, and I see it kind of peeking. On there <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had not read
1: Neuromancer yet. Of course, yeah, I'd heard like amazing things full about it. So. I still have not. Oh, okay. I've read the first sentence because it's famous, but. <laughs> not apart from that.
2: Um, I've been enjoying it so far. I'm only about 20% into it, according to my Kindle's little counter. But uh, I'm enjoying it. So, um, I really want to read uh, Snow Crash. Uh, that one I have read. I've heard it's pretty damn good. So. Oh, I think actually
1: our friend it's, was mentioning that. It sounds familiar. Um, we were, uh, it's by, It's by Neil Stevenson. Um, yeah, we were
2: talking about it. After the charity
1: lau- uh, book launch last night, if you were in that discussion at all, it's um, it was an interesting book. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, he makes up a lot of pseudoscience, which did not quite convince me. Mm-hmm. And so, and when so when he was going on about old Babylonian tablets and whatnot, I was like. But that didn't work that way. But right, Um, so you know, it's what's kind of funny about. Okay, it's a book. In his story, it does.
2: (laughs) In 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 reading reading about it, apparently, it's both loved and hated by real hacker types and real computer types. Because apparently, William Gibson didn't really know anything about computers. So a lot of it is just completely pulled out of his head, so which can either seem fantastic because it takes place in the near future anyway, and it's like holy crap, this is amazing, or you have someone that really knows their stuff about computers, which which I don't. Looking at it, going, no, it doesn't work like this. Yeah,
1: there's occasionally that moment, like the famous one in Jurassic Park, where she's like, I know this. This is Unix. (laughs) You're like that. Isn't, but okay, (laughs) that's fine. Um, You're being chased by dinosaurs, so I guess Unix being not Unix is not the least realistic thing about that movie. That's fine. (laughs) So the bottom of the list of your worries, uh, right, at that moment. I I will say Jurassic Park was one of the movies we enjoyed a lot while watching it, and then enjoyed picking apart all the little nitpicks about it for the next hour and a half over (laughs) burgers and fries in a diner. Um, I I saw it in Jersey, so there were diners.
0: uh, the Network is on an Internet. <laughs> in which? I think that's on Jurassic Park
1: 1. Oh, in Jurassic Park. The, the Network, network is, is on an, on an Internet. internet. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, boy. The interwebs. Um, so question about the charity anthology, actually. Mm. For people listening to this podcast who are not in the room right now, um, are they going to be able to continue to buy it from the Fur Planet website for a yep. period of time? Yep. We actually still have all the
2: reinforced charity anthologies from the past Going on four years now, are still orderable from our website. So you, yeah, it'll be on there. It's on there right now, actually, uh, for pre-orders. So we'll be shipping it out after the con, and you can pick up, you know, the last three
1: as well. So, okay, cool. Um, so, collect yeah. them all. Collect them. Collect them all. Help charities. <laughs> we
3: have last year's here. I picked up. I picked up uh, last year's um, at. Yeah, we, yes, brought,
2: we brought a handful of each of the, the previous years. So, yeah. yeah, if anybody has any gaps in their Rain First charity anthology collection. <laughs> but it's a
1: mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so I guess we can go on to take questions if people have them. Um, if they don't, I can talk about what I've been doing since the last time I recorded an episode of Unsheathed. Um, mm-hmm. And delve more into which, cyberpunk. Which, you know, <laughs> would take the full hour and a half we have remaining in this room, but we can <laughs> talk more about cyberpunk. Uh, Watts, did we miss anything crucial about cyberpunk? Not really. Not really? Okay. That cool.
3: starts here in
2: Seattle. Um, a lot of the- yeah, um, it- uh, Shadowrun is... Based on Seattle, but is specifically uh, explicitly stated to not be Seattle. Right. But uh, do you know about all the underground tunnels and stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we took
1: the underground tour here a couple. (gasps) I really want to do that a few years ago. The locals are probably all rolling their eyes right now, (laughs) and I'm
2: like, (laughs) it looks so cool. But they utilize that a lot in the Shadowrun universe, which is very cyberpunk. And I only know that um, because my husband plays.
1: Shadowrun. Right, right. Yeah, I know it's a a cyberpunk tabletop game. Yeah. Um, Nobody? Yes, Um, we have a question. Okay.
0: Uh, Can I hear uh, your opinions on cyberpunk or cyberpunk themes between uh, across cultures between, you say, like uh, the Western world, the Americas, and Europe, or or, in Europe and then Asia? Like, if you know any Japanese anime, cyberpunk, or compared to like American wow. American comic
1: cyberpunk, like cross culture so the question is our opinions on cross culture cyberpunk, like yeah. Japanese anime cyberpunk versus European or versus any American. Cross
0: culture of cyberpunk, how they're different between cultures? Because I definitely know there's
1: a little bit of that stuff. that is an excellent question that I wish I were way more qualified to answer <laughs> than I am. <laughs> um, do you do you know much uh, anime or can you can you I talk know. about actually what you could talk about is cyberpunk as it relates to Doctor Who. Um, which would be a British take on it. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's sci- it, it it more Doctor a more
2: science fiction space opera. Uh, there are probably I noticed some episodes that touch on cyberpunk. Um, the one that was on just last week had uh, an enhanced human was a character in it. so he had like memory that he could manually erase and some other little gadgets in his head and stuff like that. Um, I was actually hoping to bring this up anyway, um, one of the newer authors I've discovered, her name's uh, Lauren Bucus, is a South African author and her first couple of books are actually quite cyberpunk. Um, her first one's called Moxieland and her second one, <coughs> and the reason I discovered her, is called Zoo City, which um, actually Tube has read Zoo City, he posted mm. a review of it on Goodreads and we're talking about it at a panel. But, Basically the concept of that was if you do something you're guilty about it causes um, an animal to manifest itself that is attached to you and you also get like some sort of talent and everything and they all end up living in this sort of ghetto together. Her first one...
1: Wow. Her f- that's that's yeah. freaky. Yeah. Her,
2: um, her first book is more cyberpunk as it goes... Uh, a lot more into the main character has these uh, nanites implanted in her. It's called being a sponsor baby, where it basically forms this it's not a tattoo, it actually becomes part of her skin. It's like a corporate logo, but it also gives her all these other, like, like adrenaline high kind of boosts, like the, the kind of you know, make you faster, stronger, a little bit more accurate, not like superpowers or, or anything like that. Like yeah, and then it turns out that they they can actually be transmitted sexually, and you don't find that out until later. Wow. So wow. it's like sort of the nanites and the technology kind of growing into the, and there's also, it also takes place in a very repressive environment. It takes place in 2018, so it's only like a few years away. And <laughs> That's the idea, part of the idea being that like your whole life revolves around your cell phone so like he has the the, the wallet is basically a google wallet and everything like that and you have uh, a discharge offense is if you break the law at all the cops can basically text your phone and this discharge unit in it will basically shock you with like a couple hundred thousand volts. like oh, it's a way, way of battery. keeping order <laughs> because everyone has a cell phone and the ultimate like crime um, punishment is a disconnect defense, where they actually you get disconnected, and then so you don't have a wallet anymore, you can't get on the train because everything like pings your SIM in mm. order to, to do that. Um, so I mean that's that's a South African author's take on on cyberpunk, which is
1: which is pretty grim. It's it's interesting that it that it becomes. Um, so much a tool of authority, and mm-hmm. mostly what I had what seen in American cyberpunk is the, the bad guys or the authority figures tend to be corporations, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that the, the power goes into the government in that respect. Um, yeah. Um, related
4: to that, I mean I know that anime is its own medium. And I have a mild familiarity with anime, but I grew up kind of playing video games and stuff like that. And it's a a different medium, but where I've noticed there's a large disconnect between either the American-European or the Japanese industry, which offhand I can think of is relatable to anime versus American comics, is in, like, anime comics that would kind of be classified as cyberpunk, you know, Ghost in the Shell, Evangelion, anything like that, and then you you tend to have more character-driven stories that are linear and progressive. And when you American stories, it tends to be like it's one character. He's the best at everything, and there's a shit ton of lore that mm-hmm. surrounds the world that he's in. But he himself is sort of a nameless hero that sort of combats whatever antagonist is there. And that is very different from like a more linear character driven story based environment. That's one difference that I've noticed culturally. That's interesting. And the European games tend to be sort of another extreme. They tend to be more of sandboxes. Whereas like EVE online is an example where they give you the world. They don't give you anything else. It's like what you do with the world is up to you but there's no lore, there's no character driven, so that's like one end of the spectrum, the Japanese is the other end of the spectrum, America kind of falls
0: somewhere in the middle.
1: I was actually thinking as you're describing one character who's the best at everything, and I'm like, you're just describing the Matrix, that's basically what well, you... I mean,
4: <laughs> I, I mean, that's an American story. Yeah. Fable, Fable, Dragon Age, any, Morrowind, any of those, all yeah. of those are American stories where it's like, I'm this guy, and I ended up in this scenario, I'm given this quest, and I'm just awesome. right? But there's no other characters involved. There's there's no other interconnected story. It's just like there's more from the world that you're in, but that is very different from games like Final Fantasy where it's like there's There's six characters that all have individual personalities that are working together and have individual conflicts and are driving a character-driven story.
0: Yeah, like the one I was going to think of when you mentioned that characters together was like bubblegum crisis. That's super cyberpunk where it's got like, you know, but and then the villain is then uh, this, cor- like, long dead corporations who have genetic experiments and those things are rampant. It's like, mm-hmm. the, the, like the damage has been done and now you're picking up the pieces, kind of. I was So, like, I was wondering if you had any other, like, just like, between, any like,
1: themes yeah, or I'm, something. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm sadly, I'm not... Familiar with uh, with anime very much, um, <laughs> and Alass. and uh, and Watts, do you do you have anything to add? No, no not really. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're being you're being singled out by certain people around you, <laughs> but, yeah. but um, I'm not real familiar with anime either. No, I, I, do you I, have, unfortunately, kind of okay. <laughs> you know, <about> <laughs> uh, we have we we do have a, someone I mean, here who. same era,
0: yeah. Uh, I want to talk about cyberpunk aesthetics, for example, like. When you got the idea of modern era, for example, in Aliens, you had curvy, smooth, plastic, linen, vinyl, Mm -hmm. and nowadays it would be glass, steel, and chrome. Or you've got the difference between, say, Tron Legacy or Deus Ex Vented reality. What's your ideal take on uh, cyberpunk aesthetics?
1: Cyberpunk
2: aesthetics. So, like, one of my. I really pull from movies. Like, of course, when you think cyberpunk, you think Blade Runner is definitely a very important cyberpunk film. Um, I also really enjoyed the movie Strange Days. So you have that sort of dingy, grimy, dark-looking kind of future. That's scanner darkly
4: is also yeah, Yeah, yeah yeah that's
2: another one and that's
4: vector based but
2: that's generally. That's generally what I think when I think cyberpunk is, is kind of grittier like that. And I think it, uh, the nice, shiny, rounded kind of future and the more of the far-off, sci-fi space-off like the kind of Star Trek, next-generation sort of world, as really opposed good. to cyberpunk. A really good movie that's the example that kind of got overshadowed by The Matrix. It came out a, day, um, a year e- after. Equilibrium? Uh, no, actually. Oh, well, that's funny you mentioned that the other day. But uh-huh. at Dark City. Yeah, oh, Dark Cities dark yeah. is incredible, yeah. And that, again, for me, has that sort of very dark, gritty uh, kind of environment.
0: <coughs> noir. You know, so yeah. A That's a connection to
4: Noir. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, film Noir from, like, the
2: 30s? Yeah. yeah. And Noir, like, yeah. Like, I can definitely 30s, see Dark yeah. City. Yeah.
4: That, like, yeah. Big Sleep. Right, that sort of dark, and also that sort of
1: nihilistic uh, approach. Like well,
4: there's, defini- there's definitely an inherent negativity. Yeah. Yes, yeah the state, yeah, yeah. worst possible scenario
3: right in the worst stories no one has ever happened. you know no. <laughs> and i, I, I think I, I just found one that, uh, johnny mnemonic. from johnny the, mnemonic. johnny johnny mnemonic yeah. Yeah. mnemonic yeah is from from, from that, that was that is real So you like plug something into increases brain yep. storage and I know,
1: I know of it, but I have not seen that one. I can't
2: carry two gigs, man.
3: <laughs> okay,
1: seriously, that's, like, a lot of data. Yeah. <laughs> two gigs, man. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Oh, so there's another really good one that's uh, sort of, like, cyberpunk, but with, like, organics. It's called
2: Existence. And it's, like, a dream within a dream, but it's, like, these little organic things that basically take you into, like, this virtual, you know, like, it's, I don't know, it's, like, one of those right. like, movies where it's, like, Kind of like Inception. Though? Well, sort <laughs> of, but it's like a, a dark. Um, it, it's hard to explain. It's like literally one of those things where you think it's one thing and it switches it on you. Right. So, right. Don't spoil kind of it. Sort of
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, so I think, I, I mean, the, the aesthetics that I tend to like are the the real world is dirty, it's dark, it's unpleasant, it's, you know, grimy, and you escape into this the sort of cyber world which is a little more idealized but is also more dangerous so because along
0: the tron lines
1: rather than say the jack lines. Yes. Um, yes. I would say, I guess um, I don't
2: I, I enjoyed enjoy Tron but I don't really when I think of cyberpunk stories like I'd like to write or something I don't really think in all the neon kind of yeah i think more of like your kind of tokyo neon where it's like this it can be this sort of dangerous grimy place but also bright at the same time um like it's actually the thing with uh with william gibson was he visited i think it was somewhere in japan and his tour guide had been like see this city is cyberpunk (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and Gibson been like, yeah, it sure is. I mean, um, it, it very much had the aesthetic that he had described in Neuromancer without even having seen that area. And it is that Asian kind of obsession with neon everywhere. Or, or like or the, the city in
1: like Blade that. Runner, too. Is, yeah, yeah, even though which I'm, is actually Los Angeles in the future. Yeah, Los and- Angeles. I'm not... I'm not a hundred percent convinced. Blade Runner doesn't feel as uh, as cyberpunky to me as mm. some other stuff. Um, I think just it because comes of sort of the of central because of the I central guess. story. It's it's very noir. Also. It is noir. It yeah. is definitely noir. What
2: about uh, other Philip K. Dick, like we can remember for your wholesale? Total uh,
1: Recall. Total Recall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. But i
0: also point out RoboCop. I mean, it's it's not because it has the same
4: theme of corporate taking over everything, as well as mm-hmm.
1: the androidness. It it does. Yeah, and Minority, yeah. Report. And minority, minority report, report, report too. Yeah, and RoboCop. If if it didn't show up on the recording, RoboCop was mentioned, and and it has a it does have the theme of losing individuality and the corporations taking over and and so on, machines and and whatnot. Mm-hmm.
4: One that's um, an example from again from a more anime or video perspective is the Akira's same author made a movie called Metropolis, where it's it's set for in in the future in like Tokyo, but robots are very common, and they basically forced because they can be manufactured super quick. Mm -hmm. They forced regular people out of their jobs, so there's like a a super high-class society, and then there's all that's left, and they're, you know, in just basically squalms and squats down beneath the city, and they're trying to rebel against the whole system because they think it's unfair.
1: Is it based
0: I mean, on I'm the Fritz Lang's metropolis. metropolis? Yeah, yeah. 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 I studied in film class, and it actually has a really, really, really slick ending. If you compare the two movies I by side, if you'd want it for like a movie night, it's got the robot element and the creating element that they had in the original. Like, if yeah, and and de- black and de- de-
4: white. definitely like a, an expression of identity and questioning
0: what it means to be human. But that mm-hmm. personal, sort of like big eyed, personal emotion, Japanese character, like hit you at the heart moments. Right. the cyberpunk things. Well, and, and I,
4: I want to correct myself because I said it was the person that wrote Akira. I was no, mistaken. No, it's no, Astro Boy. No. Yeah. Okay. It's the same director and sort of style. Design. I mm-hmm. I apologize. I was like, oh no, because he mentioned Akira, right. so that was off the but top of my head. No,
2: it's the it's the artist that did Astro Boy. Yeah. I've
1: yeah, got I've it, it like on DVD. It's it's been a while since I've watched. I mean, okay. the
4: second you see it, you're like Astro Boy. Like you like, can tell, it's the same artist.
1: As as you were as you mentioned it, I was like, I think, I think actually the familiar. the original <laughs> Metropolis actually is probably as close to cyberpunk as someone could get in the 1920s or oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. whatever and that's, it was.
4: The the anime one is in the same vein, right? So it's just that's what I thought of because we were talking about anime earlier. There's some other
1: antecedents, Alfred Vester. Yes. uh, Uh, The Demolished Demolished Man Man and The Star's My Destination, um, which are really good, albeit slightly confusing.
3: Yes.
1: (laughs) Which also applies to a lot of cyberpunk.
3: And dark and sad. And dark and sad. (laughs) Okay, kind of a different. So how does uh, uh, like a a books or cup. Cover art, uh, produce to like sales of a of a book.
1: How does how does uh, how okay? Is so we're way? so we're moving so we're moving off of cyberpunk yeah, I, I, to yeah, say I, I, I how
3: does. To, I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to change the subject.
1: <laughs> how does uh okay? How does uh how does cover art affect sales of a book? Um, <laughs> a lot. A lot. Know, you would you would, yeah. Um, have you had so let me ask specifically? Have you sure. had the experience where you changed a book cover and and could see an effect on sales? Because I know you've reissued a couple of the anthologies like Fang Mm -hmm. and Roar with different covers. The original concept for Fang
2: was it was going to be the little black book of furry fiction. So uh, for those that aren't familiar, each volume was plain black except for the color of the Fang logo changed. Um, And that was like, it was a neat idea, but like, in the in the book sold okay, but it changed editors um, later on with volume four, and that editor decided he wanted to go with actual um, drawn artwork instead, which led us to redoing the covers of the first three, and all of a sudden we actually sold a lot more of those older books. They really picked up again, uh, and also in Roar volume one used to have a plain white cover with just a sort of a gradient effect uh and then we went and got a cover by Rukas and and, yeah. re, and reintroduced that and that book has sold a lot more with the artwork cover so i mean you can have it's one of those situations where you sort of balance design and functionality like we've had some covers submitted that are like really solid with design and really cool, but it's like this is great as a poster or something, but it doesn't really work as a book cover. It's like this very specific subsection of good design. And, you know, yeah, sometimes we have to say, no, this isn't going to work, or change things around, or, so, yeah, it's, you know, there, there is the old saying about not judging a book by its cover, but when you're Actually, trying to sell books, you really have to look at it the other way, and you have to take a a great book
1: and give it a great cover, so that it will get into readers' hands. And and from the perspective of selling them online, um, one of the things that you also have to make sure is that your cover looks good when it's uh, three quarters of an inch by half an inch on a screen or on a mobile phone, because if you you may have like this awesome cover with like, you know, Hieronymus Bosch-level detail and little things going on in it, and when it's shrunken down to where people are viewing it on a website, it looks like an incomprehensible blur, it's not going to be an attractive title. And if they can't read the title on the little thing, that also makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Same thing, it's comparable to the graphic design industry, industry when people want to make their own logos or make their own thing, and you have to think about... If I shrink this down to this big to be on a business card, versus if it's going to be on a letterhead or what web- website, but also if somebody prints this out in black and white, if it's a rainbow, it's not going to show up. So yeah. it's like yeah. color makes a big difference. Like the medium that it's printed, it makes a big difference. And like you were saying, like people don't judge a book by its cover, but things that pop, people pick up more. Yeah. It you know were attracted to various things. And, yeah. To
2: an extent, you even want to think about uh, like spine design, because if you're in a traditional book market and- oh, you're you, only gonna see the spine. You, you're, yeah, you're gonna have some books that are cover front, and then you're gonna have a lot of books that are shown from the spine. We have to worry about that a little bit less, because the majority of our sales are direct with our customers, either on our website or here at conventions. But it is still something that you want to consider as having something that popping is good, but at the very least uh, very
1: clear and not a
2: mess. You can clearly read the title and the author.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm now amused imagining your website having just a bookshelf with all the spines of your <laughs> books on it, and people just have to click on it to pull it out. and. That would be a little too realistic. really
2: over-the-top long, like, JavaScript animation or something. <laughs> I, I, I actually
3: Flash. Flash, yeah. yeah.
0: No, make it an Oculus app. <laughs> I, I,
3: that actually, sounds I, complicated. I, I writing, can't do that. <laughs> uh, one of the, uh, I know a free uh, writing boards, or so – they actually made it like that. Because if somebody wrote a whole bunch of stories inside their – so you, quite like, click on the art author, and then they'd have the list of the people's, and then you could it, and it would kind of come, it, it seemed like very basic, because it was just text, and then come out, so it felt like you were actually, like, grabbing a book in, uh, yeah, you were, you were taking, cool. off the, I mean, you're taking off that, you are taking off that author's uh, shelf, or, if it, you're,
1: yeah, if you're trying to replicate that experience.
2: There, there's actually, there was some discussion about that, that uh, I read on, it's like the trended transition, between selling print books and selling ebooks and the ebook experience and early on um, ebook developers for the actual ebook gadgets tried very hard to replicate the experience of the book like uh, ibooks on the ipad has a little page flip sound if you have the sound on and you can actually lift it like that and then Later on they they kinda realized that, you know, people that are reading ebooks know that they're reading an e book and they wanna read an e book. And you don't have to have all that extraneous stuff in there to try to make you think that you're reading a print book. If you wanna read a print book, you read a print book. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of thing is kinda out of vogue now because and you know, with the um, Five, ten years ago, we didn't have to worry about what it was going to look like at some tiny, inch-high 72 dpi. That's yep. a relatively new thing. Yep. Now we have to think about that kind of thing with cover design. Um, yeah, I,
1: I guess that's that's yeah. a pretty so, good cover of the question. So good, good question. covers are so, yeah. important. I yeah. mean, so if the, if the cover if makes you're a self- difference, self- for sure.
3: Kyle, do you get choose... I mean, I know for your, uh, you, you've had a great uh, artist do all the um, the um, the books that you've done. You know, you've had the same artists
1: do all the all the Arkea books. Yeah, the, yeah. I try to yeah. I try to keep them consistent. Um, right. That's more about oh, is that uh, that's more about making them recognizable as a series. Um, it's it's about. Um, like so that people look at a table and they're like, "Oh, all these four books have the same style cover, same art style. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're clearly all part of a series." Um, it's usually my preference to keep the same artist, and I've been fortunate enough that the artists have been uh, amenable to that. They tend to like um, working on the same property over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's that's just a question of making it easier for the customer to realize that. You know if i have a series of four books and the third one looks different from the others and nobody knows that they should be picking that up also then they're not going to buy it and then they're going to be unhappy because they're missing a book and i'm going to be unhappy because they're not buying the book and so it's just it, yeah. it's just much better to have it, it be we actually had an example
2: that happened today we sold a copy of weasel presents because they had just bought like the last two argeo books from your table and then they walked over to ours and they were like Wait a minute. Is this another one? Because yep. it's a Sarah Palmer. Same cover. Same artist. Sarah, yeah. We were like, yeah, that's a Sarah short Miles story and
1: collection. And was oh, it Sarah Miles? She goes by Sarah Miles now. That's yes. right. She got married. Or she did get married. Okay. Yeah, like I, five years ago or something. I
2: know. I, didn't, I, was, I totally I didn't don't, catch up. I, I don't keep track. I, was I felt was bad.
3: Awesome. The first publication what? of Artists Space was different than the. Yeah. The second one. Don't say
2: anything bad about that cover because the author oh. is sitting right behind you. Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, did, you know, I that
3: because of the author. Because I was looking at it initially and I go, this is unusual. Sure? I wasn't quite sure about. It. And somebody said this is a good book, and, and I mentioned it. And I go, well, okay. I, I started reading. I go, I loved it. I almost picked up the second when it was republished with new art, with the new artwork, and mm-hmm. just, just to have the, the new one with the. I love the, yeah, the so
1: yeah I mean the, one of the things that people say about self-publishing is you know if you want to goose sales of a book change the cover because people will just see a new cover and they'll be like oh new cover and she's <laughs> got a new hat I, I mean sir- <laughs> yes In Malibu Stacy um, but anyway uh, other people have questions anything that they want to talk about. We're, we're coming up close on like a An hour time when f- when yeah. we could start wrapping things up, but if people have other things they want us to talk about, we can talk about that. Um, wow, you guys are all super quiet. <laughs> it's only Friday night. <laughs> You're saving your energy for the dance later, right? That's what's going on. We already okay. missed Retro Night. You missed Retro Night? Yeah, Retro Night happened. Oh. Oh. I'm we could have went
2: and lived it up like it was nineteen eighty five. It's the big jumpsuit
1: yeah. actually. Oh, oh.
2: Okay. Well, I'd joke. have to, I'd have to go away then. Oh. They scare me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the big fluffy heads. <laughs> don't oh. know what they're thinking. <laughs> or where they <laughs> Oh yeah. Is my so telepathy can't are, are penetrate foam. Sad?
1: So. <laughs> Why the neutral expression? <laughs> <laughs> um. <coughs> Yeah. So, what are what are your what are your thoughts on Scottish the Scottish independence vote failing? So, so I've been asked about my thoughts on so, on that
2: overall because I mean, for those who don't know, I'm a Scottish citizen. Um, I moved here 30 years ago with my family. I was just a wee bastard at the time, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've always said that you know I have not been living under the realm of Scottish politics or British politics in general for the last 30 years. So if I was even able to make a vote, which I wasn't in this case, I wouldn't really know which way to go or what would be better for the country or not, because I'm a lot more familiar with US politics. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I know. right? Um, so I mean, I'm I love that they can yell at the prime minister and that's normal. You know, like I, back when Tony Blair was PM, you would actually have other ministers of parliament. You, know, you, know, you lied to us, you scumbag! like actually yelling this kind of stuff at him, and that was that was just done. You, mm-hmm. could, you don't really do that with the with the president over here, unless you're a total
1: dick. But. Uh, I, I like people, that, that. People kind of have, freedom people have that done it, and, and it makes the news. Like you, I think somebody interrupted the State of the Union Ooh. three or oh. four years ago and just yelled "liar" or something.
2: Oh, that's only happens or, to Obama. That's impressive. But um, yeah, so I, I'm kind of cool with Scotland either way, whether uh, the country remained part of the United Kingdom or was an independent. Um, I did talk to my aunt who was born in Scotland but is married to an Englishman and lives in Northern England, and she was just like, it would never work economically. And I'm just like, well, you'd know better than me, so okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't have a firm opinion on it one way or the other, really. Okay. Well, that was our – that was our – that was the – Politics now segment of Unsheathed <laughs> here on um, BBC it like, Unsheathed. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> <It laughs> we've been
4: discussing. It seems like something that wouldn't be good for the economy, but at the same time, it seems like it's something that a lot of Scotsmen want.
1: Well, the question, as far as I've understood it, is which economy it would not be good for. Which would be Scotland. Because well, well, Scotland does bring a lot of money into the UK. They have they have oil fields. They have whiskey exports. Um, yeah. The haggis and the haggis, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> just the so ma- haggis. Not to mention
4: wool. And, I mean, right. I knit, so I'm biased.
1: Yep, yep. There's a lot of wool. There you are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as oh, as, as with fuzz, true. I'm not conversant. All I know is from talking to, to various people, and um,
2: uh, people have said yeah. there's. It's a country that, like, and I noticed myself for some reason Scottish expats are like fiercely patriotic about Scotland. Um, I am myself, and I don't really know why, because I haven't <laughs> lived there since I was eight. But it, there is a very strong sense of Scotland, yeah, kind of thing, and I think a lot of the, the independence movement was sort of driven by that mm. a little bit, you know. Um, but it's like if Texas really tried to secede, which is another place I live in, and, and that motion has been you know, promoted several times, and I'm like, yeah, I know that wouldn't work. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, like,
4: six like, like you were saying, you know... If California if, secedes, it will if, be because the some, big one cracks like England, it off of the... If, uh, oh, if a part the sport, of their country though. that brings in a shit ton of revenue decides, I want to break free, they're like, eh, no. Yeah. We want to keep that revenue. Yeah.
1: Well, California had a proposal which did not, thankfully, make it onto the ballot. Oh, to break it into six... To break six, into six uh, states. Yeah. Um, the Six Californias proposal, which, which is... Oh my God. It's so ridiculous. Talk about gerrymandering. I mean, like on a mass scale. <laughs> yeah. It's not. Yeah. I don't even know. It's not even that. It's some, it's some stupid guy with way too much money. But then on the other hand, wait, 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 you have wait, 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 wait,
2: Canada. Canada is interesting because I mean, Scotland's vote was fairly decisive. It, it failed within like a full 10 percentage points, but Canada it was like uh, less than one percentage point for Quebec to go independent. <laughs> the majority of non Quebec living Canadians I've spoken to have been like, "Fine,
1: go." <laughs> so, <laughs> which which is a lot of a lot of, I should say, West Coast people's opinions about Texas as well. Yeah, if I didn't live there, I'd be fine with that. I'd love to just scoop up DFW and
2: plop it into Northern California or something, because then I could enjoy that lovely. Um, uh, yeah, the weather climate yeah. climate thank you that's what i was looking for but hopefully still keep my texas property values and my taxes much lower <laughs> and the, yeah and the, and the lack
1: of state tax um Washington. which is, but my marriage would be recognized which would be that's also a nice true. benefit that's also true have
3: any income tax that's um, a
1: good thing okay well so we're close to an hour so i think we'll we'll wrap it up um Thank you, all of you guys, for coming out to hang out with us for an hour while we talk about stuff. Uh, thanks, <laughs> Fuzz, for joining me here My and pleasure. Uh, and for providing banter for an hour. And uh, and thank you, uh, thank you, Kit, for being here and being moral support.
3: Yay! <laughs> Thumbs
1: up. Um, is there any anyone else that I forgot? You tweeted. Did you live tweet our our podcast? I did every word. Awesome! <laughs> I get a lot of ones. You got fast. <laughs> Kit Kit was live tweeting, and, and everyone unfollowed him. So <laughs> so follow, go follow Kit Silver on Twitter. Follow him back. <laughs> um, anyone else I should mention? You're, you're the one who reminds me who I should be
2: saying things to. Thank you for be, to be hop for showing his disgust at our recording rig this evening. <laughs> <laughs> He's crossing he's himself. He's <laughs> shaking his head. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: but anyway, yes. Thanks, guys. Uh, we will see you at the next rain first. Um, and uh, thank you. Good night, everybody. And uh, if you are a writer, keep writing. All right. Good yeah, applause yeah. You.
3: Pause
2: out. Oh, applause looks good.